This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Of course, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, did you know that Neil Diamond was actually, until Sweet Caroline came out, called Neil Cole? (sighs) Why did he change his name to Neil Diamond, Hank? After that song, it was so big. I think the pressure really got to him. It's funny because I I don't know of anyone who the pressure got to less than Neil Diamond. <laughs> he seems to be doing okay. It's not like he retired from public life after the success of Sweet Caroline, like J.D. Salinger, like he just couldn't bear it, you know? <laughs> Too much. <laughs> yeah. He seems he seems like he's doing okay. Uh, yeah, he's just cranking out hits. I mean, I feel like the guy's that guy is just an absolute hit factory. I haven't potted with you in so long that I'd forgotten that we had this opening bit where you tell a dumb joke. <laughs> it's been a long time. I've I've missed I've missed making the podcast with you. Not least because it's really the only time we talk during the week these days because we're both so busy doing various weird things, many of which I'm contractually obligated not to speak about. Yeah, or like I'm working on a thing that we were just talking about that I'm very excited about. That I, it's not like there's a contract. I just don't want to tell people because of how cool it is, and then they'll be like, "Oh, it is." And it w- is if really it doesn't cool. happen, I, it's one of those things because it might not happen. You never know if it's like if everyone else is going to be as excited about your new yeah. YouTube channel idea as you are. But yeah. I have to say, Hank has a lot of YouTube channel ideas, and this is by far the best one because right now. <laughs> All I want to do, it, yeah. all I want in the whole world is I want to watch nature at an extremely small scale doing <laughs> the things that it does with voiceover yeah. commentary from a calm, normal 
person. That's the mm-hmm. only thing I want out of the universe. I want to spend the rest of my life doing that. That is my infinite jest. I just want to be in a in a calm, quiet room with someone explaining the secrets of the the microscopic universe to me. Okay. Well, that's basically the idea. It's a it the, you know, that's basically it. Now you guys know. I hope that it works out. All right. This first question comes from Sam, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I share a kitchen with six other graduate students, none of whom I'm particularly close with, but I do have a nice relationship with all of them. A week or so ago, someone, I don't know who, bought a half gallon of milk, but no one's opened the milk since it was put into our fridge and it expires tomorrow. And I ran out of milk this morning (laughs) and I would really like to eat some cereal. Can I open the unopened half gallon of milk? It's a lot of milk and it won't all be consumed before it goes bad and I don't know who bought it so I can't ask them. Please help me, Green Eggs and Sam. Well, first of all, John's going to tell you to put water on your cereal. I and am. you can go ahead and ignore that. Sam, uh, Sam, <laughs> Sam, Sam, listen to me for a second. You can cover your cereal with stuff that literally came out of a cow or you can co- cover your cereal with good, clean, nutritious tap water. Water that has kept us going as a species for 250,000 years, Sam. Water on cereal is the answer to your question. I don't so, but Sam, let's live in a hypothetical universe where you think this is a disgusting idea. I'm I, not saying I, it, it is. It's so weird to me that people think this it's is gross. the hypothetical like, gross? that it's I'm just exploring it's right now. It's the same thing. It's just wetting the cereal. I've still not tried it. I've Maybe I did. I think I did when like early in the podcast, when this thing first came up, I tried it and I didn't like it and I don't, but like, let's just explore the hypothetical. John, is it okay to open an unopened gallon of milk for any purpose, whether it's for cereal or for baking some brownies? If it's about to expire, you, no one's opened it. It's been there for a while and you like somebody needs to rescue this milk. I think Yes. I think that you need to get closer with your six other graduate student buddies so that you don't have this issue. Yeah, you should have a sh- like a group chat. Have a group chat. Or, or oh, let me throw this out there, Hank. Try interacting in this space called the kitchen. Have a group chat. They're not all there at the same time. They're very busy graduate students. Some of them are waiting on their spectrometers. Others of them are waiting on their philosophy professors. There's just a great deal of like of different uh, lifestyles in this one home with six six other graduate this is seven graduate students sharing one kitchen i cannot i i had a five-person roommate situation once and one kitchen for five people and i can tell you that mistakes were made (laughs) yeah and i don't think it's like i don't think this is a linear thing i think adding another person like exponentially makes it worse so like five completely agree like like six is ten times worse than five what i would do in real life is I would probably write a very long, like four to 5,000 word letter <laughs> that I would post on the door of the refrigerator. And it would be titled A Manifesto in Re the Milk. And I would write basically a defense of why I'm choosing to open the mm-hmm. milk. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm concerned that this cow's work will be for naught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, many, will no many, one, will no one many think of animals the labor and that people. was involved in the creation of this yeah. good. Yeah, 
This was not, this is not a, a values neutral thing. Like we are full, we are graduate students. We must explore the nature of, of this, of this philosophical conundrum. Yeah. It's a great opportunity to use words like hermeneutics and ontological. Yeah. I mean, I really, I do love hermeneutics work. Uh, Mr. Nudix is really great uh, <laughs> at philosophy. I probably wrote ontological in six or seven different college papers, and I still do not know for sure what it means. Isn't that like the study of the study of studies? It's the study of knowledge. It's knowledge about knowledge. And I've certainly had philosophy graduate students explain the mm-hmm. word ontological to me on thousands of occasions, but I, I don't know that I really get it. Uh, well, I definitely don't know anything about hermeneutic. I, yeah, I mean, I would be hard-pressed to <laughs> offer you a definition of hermeneutics. It's the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary texts. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that would be one that I know since I was an English and religion major. <laughs> Again, I'm sure I've used it. I also think there should be a better word for that. Why is, who is Herman? Why don't, well, yeah, an, for instance, one word could be interpretation. <laughs> or analysis. It's the theory and methodology of interpretation. All right. We got a toughie, John. This uh, is from Luke who asks, Dear Hank and John, which side of the paperclip faces the, the stack of the paper? The small side mm. or the slightly bigger side? Mm. I'm using paperclips for the first time as they are mostly irrelevant because it's 2019. And I want to ensure that my paper stacks have the most professional look. No, you're not my father, Luke. This is, this is a great question that makes me feel super old because <laughs> I only just now when reading Luke's question Realize that like young people must look at paper clips and be like, what is this other than like a a convenient way of expressing how much a gram weighs? Right. Or like that that uh, meme about the Microsoft helper clippy. Right. Yeah. Right. They they probably look at a paper clip and they think, I can't believe they made a real life version of that stupid <laughs> Microsoft helper. Why would they do that? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even have the face on it. Right. It's not even this a proper This is a really low-quality reproduction <laughs> of Windows 2000's Microsoft Assistant. <laughs> the answer, I, I mean, I actually feel pretty strongly about the answer, yeah. and I think that I'm right, but I don't know why that I'm right. The Correct. answer is that the longer side of the paperclip is on top. Yep. And I think but this I is no purely aesthetic. I think this is a purely aesthetic choice. I don't think that it affects the uh, ability of the paperclip to clip paper. I think, but yeah. I have never seen it the other way. And if it was done the other way, I'd be like, that seems wrong. Who did this? Right. I would be like, ugh, millennials. <laughs> they don't even know how to aesthetically clip paper. <laughs> Like, what a dumb thing that we all just internalized together. But I actually, like, I went and looked at stuff I've gotten from my accountant recently, who's the only person in my life who still uses paper clips. And Mm -hmm. I was like, every single time, the longer side is on the top. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you handle, if you clip papers professionally, if that's part of your job, write us, let us know if you feel as there is any actual benefit to clipping the way that we clip or if this is purely aesthetic. Yeah, I'd be fascinated to know. This next question comes from Nassim, who writes, Dear John and Hank, since there's helium in the air, 
does that mean that our actual voices are really deeper and in our atmosphere we're just always slightly talking like we took a breath from a helium balloon? <laughs> Thanks, Nassim. Uh, there this is, is the helium. best question we've ever received because A, I have no idea what the answer is, and B, my immediate assumption was probably. <laughs> So first, I like you gotta you gotta say all right. Is that in that case, if it's tr- if it's true, is it actually like what's the natural state, right? Right. Because right. like, well, no, the natural state is the current state, obviously. But what I'm what I'm asking, Hank, is if I go to one of those fancy oxygen bars in Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. I have, and I like you know drink pure oxygen for. Four minutes for $85 and I have, does my voice start to be deeper just for a few minutes because of all that pure oxygen I just had? Uh, so he, the helium in the, well, to be clear, it's not just the helium. It's all of the gases are affecting the density of the air and the density of the air is the thing that matters. So if you do pure oxygen, I don't know whether pure oxygen is heavier than pure nitrogen. I should. I bet if I thought about it, oxygen is... Eight, and nitrogen is six. What you got to realize is this isn't just about the density of helium. Like all gases do this, affect the tone of our voice. And so like we are used to hearing mm. our voices at the density of of like, you know, the air, like the, the particles in our air, which is almost entirely nitrogen and oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you breathed in air that was like a, a heavy gas, like a heavier gas, all of them are poisonous, unfortunately. So it would be hard to do it. Um, sure. So oh, except, for the, except for the, uh, except for the noble gases. Like, so, so if you breathed in pure argon, your voice would actually be lower than it is mm-hmm. or pure krypton, which you probably wouldn't want to do uh, or pure radon. Not based which on you, my reading of Superman. Uh, actually, I think it'd be fine to breathe in pure krypton. It would just be expensive, but you definitely wouldn't <laughs> want to breathe in pure radon because um, that would give you lots of cancer. Yeah, no, I got it. I, I can picture it. Um, so the, uh, the the mix that we have now is lightened a little bit by helium. And so if the helium was removed, per, I guess our voices would be point. Zero zero. I looked this up. Zero five two four percent deeper, or divided by the actual amount that helium deep uh, lightens your voice, heightens your voice. Nassim, the answer to your question is yes, at least according <laughs> to Hank's marginally educated guess. I went to several different Wikipedia pages. <laughs> Hank has scanned four Wikipedia pages, so you it's can trust him. It's not single source. It's his multiple Wikipedia pages. <laughs> I've done my lateral reading. I did it while answering the question. <laughs> okay. Uh, this next question comes from Caitlin. Caitlin's got a question. Dear Hank and John, whenever I write an email on my phone, it has an automatic signature of sent from my phone. Why is it important to everyone that they know that I sent it from my phone? Squash and seagulls, Caitlin, sent from my iPhone. Caitlin, you Mm -hmm. have to imagine the distant hazy past to understand this. In 2007, it's it's a world with paper clips. (laughs) So many people were taking pieces of paper and connecting them to other pieces of paper with with paper clips, Caitlin. Things were just vastly different. But in 2007 and 2008, when people first got iPhones, 
And when you would receive an email, inevitably on your desktop or laptop computer that came from an iPhone, the message sent from my iPhone served two purposes. The first purpose was to make sure that everyone understood that the person who'd sent the message was a fancy person, a person who could afford a (laughs) fancy phone. And the second purpose was to make you want to become a fancy person who Hmm. can write things like sent from my iPhone at the bottom of their emails. However, if you're anything like me, you were able to kind of like see the matrix and hack it by just writing sent from my iPhone at the bottom of all your emails. (laughs) And people would be like, gosh, this guy really wrote a long email considering the poor quality of 2007 iPhone keyboards. And I'd be like, yeah, I did. Yeah, no, I am uh, I am a very good iPhone typer. It is one of my many skills that you could find on my in my resume that you have to get me to mail to you. <laughs> That's right. Unfortunately, I don't have a digital version at the moment. Uh yeah, I, I it definitely it was partially it's an it's an advertisement. Like this is the reason Apple says it's so that people will know they will excuse you for writing a shorter email or having right. the typos because right. it's from from a phone. In reality, Apple was like, we can use that excuse and be like, advertise the fact that people are sending emails from phones. Yeah, yeah. It did feel like a miracle, though. But like all miracles, it was a miracle that uh, turned out to be more complicated than we initially mm-hmm. understood. All right. This next question comes from Adnan, who asks, Dear John and Hank, this year I've been going to a private school, and so far my experience has been great. The problem is that my brother and his friends have told me you're not acting like you're black, and this school has whitewashed you. What can I do about this? From a rad man, call me Adnan. I guess I might have said your name (laughs) wrong at the beginning, but thank you for the... Uh, what is that called, yeah. Hank? Is that a mnemonic? Very good pronunciation guide. A, a mnemonic device? Is that what they are called? I don't know that that is a mnemonic. Maybe it is. It's sure. all hermeneutics to me. <laughs> Get that. I need that shirt. <laughs> oh, that actually is a pretty good idea for a shirt. It's all, it's all her. I'm going to press that out later in the podcast. Definitely. Uh, okay. Well, I'm glad that you've got a new, new project to work on. Adnan, I, the first thing I'd recommend is that you, uh, talk to people who might be in a similar situation. Yeah, you definitely came to the right place. We're experts on this topic. Well, we're not experts on the topic, but I I, I still think it's important. I I would talk to uh, friends you might have at school who are in similar situations. I also, one thing I can do is recommend a couple books. That's usually what I do uh, in my (laughs) life when people have problems. Um, Uh I, I... uh, the Hate You Give is one book in which uh, the young woman who's the ce- at the center of that book is attending a private school, and there's you know a lot of like tension and complication between her life at school and her life at home. Another book that tells a story partly from a similar perspective is If You Come Softly by Jacqueline Woodson, which is also just a beautiful book. So is The Hate You Give. You can't go wrong with either of those books. Um, and and maybe there might be some clarity for you in reading about people who've been in similar situations, even if they're fictional characters. I know sometimes that works for me. Uh, so those were my two pieces of advice. Yeah, I think there's also like there there are people who are, you know, public or semi-public figures who have gone through similar situations and in a world where like not like this isn't that common of a, of an experience you right. might find that there is a, a fair amount of like people will be willing to um to to hear you out to 
to help you think through this, who you might otherwise think like that person is going to talk to me. They have like 100,000 followers on Twitter, but like it's a hard thing to navigate and it can be very difficult to ask people to be more empathetic to you. But Mm -hmm. I think that's part of what needs to happen with your friends and with your brother. This next question comes from Emily, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my fiance just accepted a new job in a different state. This is great because it's his dream job. It's where we've always planned to end up. But now I'm facing the issue of leaving my job. My only problem is that they've already allowed me to work from home during one move, which was very nice of them. So I don't have a good excuse for like moving. I've never had to quit a job before, but now it's time for me to move on and start my long-term career. Brothers, how do you quit a job? Not very blunt, Emily. I I have quit exactly one job, which was also the only job I ever had. Um, At least it wasn't like a temporary summer kind of job. And it was really hard. It was a similar situation. Sarah had gotten into graduate school in New York, which meant that we had to move because we had just gotten engaged. And I knew that it was kind of time to leave Booklist because I wanted to try to make a go of it as a freelancer to see if I could, you know, make a full-time job out of writing. And it was really, really difficult. That said, uh, if you like your job and if the people you've worked with at your job have been cool people, they will understand why you're leaving and that it and that you feel like it's time to move on to something that's going to be a little more career-oriented or more career-oriented for you. And it'll be an awkward day, but it's just one day. Yeah. And in my experience, having both quit and also been having the person come into my office and tell me that they're leaving um it you know it's it's very helpful to know sort of like where it's all coming from and also to to know like okay so you can speak freely now like tell me what you liked and didn't like and what you think we could do better and yeah uh, yeah like that that can be a really helpful time if you're interested in being um you know letting that support like to, to have that transitional time be it be an opportunity to put all the cards on the table and uh you know have everybody coming out learning stuff yeah it's definitely bittersweet but i personally feel happy for people when they mm-hmm. leave complexly because they usually leave because they're going on to do things that they want to do things that they find interesting and uh you know there's a sadness in that for us for sure but i also you know i want people to be able to grow and yeah so i, I it, it's easy to like make a big deal of these things in your head i mean i know that from experience but i think in reality it will be better than you think it will be all right Hank, we got a question from meredith who writes dear john and hank how does viewership on youtube compare to tv or netflix or hulu or whatever I only really know how to contextualize view and subscriber counts within the framework of YouTube. I know ads mm-hmm. run for less time and generally produce less revenue, but like, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird thing. It's such a great question, though, because the answer to like why is basically because it's always been that way. And also because we don't really know. I mean, so this is a thing that I know too much about. I like there's a lot of complexity to that question. But like basement information is like I was shocked when I discovered that like the most viewed cable news shows get around three million views an episode. And of course, those are concurrent views. Those are views as it's happening, which is like it's basically a live stream view. If you're going to talk about it in Internet terms and like that's like it's weird for a live stream to have three million views. But like 
they don't tend to rebroadcast those things. They might take a segment of it and re-upload it to the internet now. But no, it's but really they're on amazing demand to me a lot that, of times. So actually, these days they're not counting concurrent views. They're often counting like views within forty-eight hours or views within a week or something, which is yeah. not totally dissimilar to how YouTube views get counted. I think that we don't know a lot about how many people are watching Netflix or Hulu shows. Oh, yeah, that's a Netflix total Netflix and Hulu guard that information very jealously. We also don't know that much about how many people are actually watching cable shows because a lot of it is based on estimates, less of it mm-hmm. now than it used to be, but still a lot of it. Um, and there are a lot more advertisements you know, per minute of content on television, certainly, than there are on YouTube. There's about eight minutes of advertisements for every 22 minutes of content. If you did that on YouTube, nobody would watch your video. <laughs> like, no. It's yeah, the equivalent be a mass of exodus. having uh, you know, two, two ads during every Vlogbrothers video. It would be, <laughs> it would be ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> during a four minute video um yeah i i i and i can't like and the only reason people put up with that is because like it increased very slowly over a long period of time and also they're more in a sort of a relaxed state yeah where you know like the ad breaks come comes on and i don't know what people do i haven't watched tv in 10 years and uh and then like why it's so it is actually less valuable it's not just that like there's fewer ads they impact people less when you are watching YouTube. And what that's about is uh, an area of open study and um, and it kind of creeps me out that it is and that like we have this way of like we have like an entire sort of industry of science devoted to influencing humans with paid uh, time. I don't know. It creeps me out. It's weird. Of course, of course, my business is largely based on advertising. So um, I was going to say we're not that opposed to it, and not uh, necessarily necessarily opposed to it. But it is like it is something that like I like to look in the face of it and be like, "You are weird." I want to admit that you are weird. Oh yeah, yeah, it's weird. We've also got a personal project for awesome message from Susan Fish from Vancouver. Thank you to all of the Adult Nerdfighters Facebook group for being such a strong community. I've made so many friends, and the support and kindness I see in the group every day is awesome. Extra shout out to Emma K, Emma M, Kit, Eileen, and her Mootron of Honor, Jen, Keely, Leo, and the Narwhal. Oh, that makes me so happy. Thank you, Susan. It's yeah. good to know that there are happy, productive places on Facebook in my absence. <laughs> yeah. This episode of Dear Hang Jones brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, 
I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Sorry we're not around. Uh, we don't know how to use that platform. This next question comes from Andrea, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I bought a house recently, chickens included. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what how a terrible house works, deal. Andrea. Is there any way, Andrea, can you go back in time and buy the same house, but sans chickens? Yeah, chickens not included. That's that's how houses work. Uh, okay, Andrea continues. They're that's lovely we, most of the time. House, we got a couch, which is similar. <laughs> the chickens are lovely most of the time. However, if I leave the door open for any period of time, they race inside and poop on the carpet. <laughs> I can't even leave the door open while getting groceries out of the car. How do I keep out the chickens, pumpkins and penguins, Andrea and chickens? Uh, one, first of all, come on, chickens. Like, be a good, like, come in and be like, I'm going to chill here for a second. Not immediately take a dump. I don't agree with you. I do not think the chickens are at fault in this situation. <laughs> I think these chickens need a home well i assume they have some place to poop well i mean there's free range chickens and then there's free range chickens right like right. i'm all in favor of chickens having a great chicken life but i don't want them to have access to my house so you're going to do one of two things you're either going to build a screened in porch that's sort of an airlock between you mm. and the chickens right. in the house or you're going to build a chicken coop with a lot of room to run but no access to the house. Right. You could alternatively find a new home for the chickens, seeing as you did not really sign up for this. Right. Yeah. These aren't your chickens deep down, <laughs> right? Like these are adopted yeah. chickens that came with a house. So I think you could, lots of people the, love, the, lots of people love when, chickens. And uh, let me tell you, all of my flipping neighbors do. <laughs> <laughs> I asked one of my neighbors recently. I was like, listen, I get why you have chickens. Why do you have roosters? <laughs> They're loud. It's so, because they get born and you don't want to kill them because it seems quite mean. Oh, so loud. So loud. Uh, well, how does the real estate agent conversation go when they're like, congratulations, you got the house, also chickens? Well, I assume that it must have been in the inspection report, right? Like, the inspector of the house must have been like, property is in good condition, heads up, chickens. I guess. But I like, think that doesn't have. mean that they're going to be there still. There are yeah. oftentimes lots of things that get taken away. I remember when we bought our first house, Sarah was like, one, the only condition of this sale is you got to get rid of that playground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do not want yeah, you... a huge child-friendly playground in my backyard. And two years later, we were like, welp. 
<laughs> that actually wouldn't have been so bad. Uh, but chickens, mm, I, I don't mean, know. I, lo- I, 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 I love chickens, but yeah, I, I think you've got to... You've either got to make a good chicken coop situation or you've got to find some kind of protection because you can't have chickens. I mean, it's stressful to have chickens in the house, I think. Can you train a chicken so that they poop in a litter box like a cat? Because I feel like people have pet chickens. Maybe they wear diapers, chicken diapers. I think think I've seen a picture of a chicken in a diaper. I'm going to Google indoor chicken. Oh, there's indoor chicken coop. Um, That I'm not interested in. Raising an indoor pet chicken. That's exactly what I want to read about. Thanks, Google. God, what a great service. (laughs) I recently uh, watched a chicken poop. Um, I was sort of at the hind end of it and it was elevated so that we were roughly at eye level with each other and the Mm -hmm. chicken pooped. And so most I've seen lots of bird poop and it's it's from bird sized birds. And we forget that chickens are monster birds. They're huge. Yeah, they're very, very big and they have correspondingly giant turds. And when this when this poop came out, I was like, that chicken is laying an egg. And then it was a poop. That's how big it was. It was the size. It was as if it was laying an egg. I was, and then the smell hit me immediately. It is not a good situation. I did not realize how significant a turd that bird makes. Can I read you a paragraph from the article raising an indoor pet chicken? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, please do. It's one of the best paragraphs I've ever read in my entire life. Our indoor pet chicken was unexpected, and I kept her in the house longer than necessary for several reasons that ended up bringing out the protective mama hen in me. I was willing to put up with a house chicken a lot longer than my spouse was. (laughs) But as marriage is a series of compromises, (laughs) at six months, I started the transition of our pet chicken, Charlie, to our outdoor chicken coop. (laughs) Oh, my God. As marriage is a series of compromises, let me submit, author, that the spouse in question made some amazing compromises to get to six months. Yeah, it feels like we worked together on that one. And I'm glad that we all came out of it understanding the situation. Oh, as marriage is a series of compromises is my new favorite dependent clause. It's all hermeneutics to me. (laughs) This next one comes from Emma, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I went to a poetry reading for the first time this week. uh, There was one poem in particular that I found very moving. It was a beautiful and emotional poem about a very heavy subject. Afterward, I wanted to tell the poet that I liked their poem very much, but that did not feel like the right thing to say. The poem was about such a serious topic. And I could tell that it was very personal and emotional for the poet. So I felt wrong saying that I liked it. What should I say instead to let the poet know that I found their piece to be meaningful? Emma. I'd say I liked it. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, people... Right. When people, people know sometimes what that say to means. me about Turtles All the Way Down, like, uh, that it was like a... You know that that they like the book, and then they then they get nervous, and they say, "Well, I, you know, like I, I I I didn't mean that I like like liked the the this you know the kid you know suffering stuck inside her own head." And I and I always think like, "Oh, well, no, but that doesn't mean you don't like the book." Like I I I'm grateful when people like my stories, and I I I understand what the stories are about, right? Like I understand that the fault in our stars is sad, and when people tell me that it's sad, I'm not surprised. 
Uh, and yeah. so I think like the poet probably knows that their work. Um, they know what they know what their work's about. They know they know that it was a tough read, but that it, you know you still want to. It's still really really nice to hear like that was great. That was right. really meaningful to me. Anything like that. I think like we process all compliments pretty much identically, which is to say like like ninety percent of them bounce off of us, and like ten mm-hmm. percent make their way in. And mm-hmm. I don't think that you can like craft a compliment that does a better job than that, at least in my experience. Yeah, I I have a hard time complimenting people in situations where they're they're like that's my first interaction with them. Yeah, like I had a pastry this morning and I wanted to like I wanted to tell the person who made the pastry like what the how they had made my day better because it was so good and I'm so glad that the person who is able to make this rugula lives in Missoula, Montana. But one, I didn't really know how to find them because there were a number of people and maybe that person wasn't there anymore. Right. And two, like I just was like, ah, this is not normal. People don't do this. Yeah. Compliments to the chef. Right. It's a little bit it's a little bit too intense sometimes, right? Like it's a fine line between like I really like that rugula and like who made this rugula? I must speak to them. <laughs> and then you look them very deeply in the eyes and you're like, this was a very special rugula and it changed my life. And I would buy 500,000 of these rugulas except that marriage is a series of compromises and my spouse <laughs> says that I can't. I mean, Catherine liked it a lot, too. We shared it. It was so good. I'm thinking about it right now, and it's distracting. Podcast brought to you by Black Cat Bakery in Missoula, Montana. Oh, man. I I knew that you were going to say the name of the place because, like, I want to love anything as much as you love Missoula. I really like that uh, That it like I keep finding things that I like about this town. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I just need to really quickly answer one question. It comes from Caitlin. She writes, Dear John and Hank, whenever I go to the omnipresent 99-cent pizza joints in New York City, they take my mm-hmm. dollar in payment without ever offering the penny back. What's happening to all these pennies? Are they just counted as tips? It's actually $1 pizza, and they're just guilty of false advertising. Any dubious insights are appreciated. Slices and cents. Caitlin. Caitlin. Caitlin, you are blessed not to have to deal with that penny. And you should be grateful Mm -hmm. and you should be glad. And that is the end (laughs) of my answer. (laughs) Hank, the last time we potted together, it was very, Mm -hmm. very long ago. It was a while. Since we last recorded a podcast together... The most amazing thing has happened. Uh, or should yeah, I say, well, uh, terrifying. the most amazing series of things. I mean, it's just like, why create all of this tension? I don't need it. Oh, AFC Wimbledon, America's favorite third tier soccer team, absolutely dead in the water two months ago. Uh huh. Even a month ago. I mean, absolutely, we were not just in last place. We were so far away from being in second to last place that we could win two straight games and still be in last place. It seemed obvious that AFC Wimbledon was going to be relegated. I visited uh, the stadium to see the FA Cup game against Millwall, which we lost. And of course, the mood I mean, to say that it was dark would be an understatement. Everybody was talking about how. You know, sometimes you just need to get relegated and and rebuild and 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 see 
you know, what you can make of it and, uh, and, and so on, except, except uh-huh. their next game against uh-huh. Rochdale, they won four to three in mm-hmm. miraculous fashion uh, with a 95th minute penalty, essentially yeah. the last kick of the game. Joe Piggott secured his hat trick. We won that game four to three. Then we went to Charlton, one of the best teams in the league one. We lost that game. Then we tied Shrewsbury. And since then, AFC Wimbledon have rattled off three straight victories, beating Doncaster, Peterborough, and most recently, Southend United. And suddenly, I mean, just for a little bit of context, in our first 31 games, we won six. In our most recent seven games, we've won five. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. How? What is happening? Nobody knows. So one thing that's been helpful is that in two of those uh, wins, uh, there were red cards uh, for um, uh, for our opponents. That was useful. Joe Piggott has started scoring quite a lot of goals, which is a a wonderful surprise. And AFC Wimbledon, (laughs) I mean, truly, I I had nearly given up hope, Hank, and I I am known for holding on to hope way too long. Like, it's one of my defining character features. But still, I was like, you know, sometimes you get relegated. That's life. Suddenly, AFC Wimbledon, with eight games left to go in the League One season, are in 22nd place, Hank. Still in the relegation zone. No doubt about that, mm-hmm. but no longer in last. We haven't not been in last in like six months. Yeah. So the way that I approach sports, I would rather have no chance than have a slim chance. Oh, I want to have a chance. We're oh. only three points away from being in 20th place, which w- which is the last spot to not be relegated. If you look at the last 20 years of League One history, 52 or 51 points are usually what's necessary to stay up. Right now, mm-hmm. AFC Wimbledon, after 38 games, has 39 points. That means we probably need to win four of our last eight games. Now, mm-hmm. that will be difficult. I'll remind you, we've only won 11 games all season. But, I mean, <laughs> the dream is alive. <laughs> well, good. I'm happy for you. Um, the news from Mars is bad. So that's, apparently, we need more bad Mars news for you guys because we can't Oh, I mean, if you could just deliver me news. with like four to six weeks of really, really bad Mars news, that would be super helpful because... Of our eight remaining games, six of them are against teams that are almost as bad as us. Oh, wow. That's great. That's good news. So the kinds of teams that could get pushed down on the table while you get pushed up. Exactly. The kinds of teams teams that if we win four games might go down in lieu of us going down. The dream is Mm -hmm. alive. I Suddenly I've cleared my calendar for May 4th in case I need to make a last second trip to the stadium. Uh, in case we've we, our survival's oh on the line on the last day. Oh God, That's I'm terrifying. sweating just thinking about it. My palms just like I, my palms just erupted. 
Uh, all right. I, I mean, guess that got left in the podcast. Since I watched Alex Honnold <laughs> climb uh, El Capitan oh my in God. free solo without without a rope. <laughs> also something that I did not subject myself to. No, thank you. I was watching a uh, <sighs> I was watching like a YouTube video about that movie and somebody commented that um that their free solo was watching free solo. <laughs> <laughs> this is the the highest risk I allow myself to make. <laughs> and somebody else commented that they needed one of those chalk bags just to hold their phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay so uh the mars insight lander has been on the surface of mars for a hundred days now i know that seems amazing that it's been wow. there that long yeah um and the seismometer is in place and operating well but there is also that little drill gopher thing that yeah. was the goal is to like get a heat probe 15 feet below the surface of mars to study the uh, movement of heat in the interior of the planet which will tell us lots about what mars is made of uh, it got a foot down and it stopped going down oh no and the way that since this is all like just data that we're getting from this thing, like we can't observe it directly, this could mean a number of different things. The most likely one is that it hit something hard <laughs> um, and can't go through it. It, it just like, got unlucky and like landed near a rock. Yeah, it hit a rock or like a layer of like like tightly packed gravel even. Mm. Um, and so so it's it stopped after four hours and it like every subsequent attempt to make it go further has not succeeded um there are a couple of potential plans for what to do about this because it you know this is a little bit of information that we got but like this it would be a huge uh like loss of science to not have this thing keep going but um what the suggestions are one if it's not too big of a rock that it hit we could just keep hammering on it and maybe it'll break maybe we'll push it to the side mm -hmm. it could be a pretty big it could be fairly big rock that we could push to the side mm -hmm. probably not in like your mind if i said fairly big rock not that size but as we are guessing at what size rocks are in the like in the regolith there you know this like it would have to be like a you know about the size of maybe a flash card you could push that to the side um what uh if that doesn't work or in addition to that when this thing hammers there's a recoil and so like it hits and then it bounces up a little bit what they're thinking about maybe doing is putting so there's this robotic like crane arm on insight that that put these instruments onto the surface taking the crane arm and putting it like just push like putting it on top of this hammer so that when it recoils it doesn't it's not able to recoil it just mm. goes down it's like mm -hmm. adding a little extra force mm -hmm. by taking this robotic arm and like pushing down on yeah. the hammer I basically love it. i love um, it so that is being attempted with a model on earth right now to try and figure out if that will work if or if there's a chance that we'll break the arm if you break the arm that also decreases the ability of insight to do cool stuff um but maybe maybe it's worth it uh so it's a bummer and uh and i really hope that they are able to solve this problem but there was some thought early on that they might actually be able to retract the hammer and move it to yeah. a different spot that was doesn't my look suggestion like, doesn't look like now that it's it's as deep as it is that they can still do that oh so it's like too deep to retract yeah 
but not mm-hmm. deep enough to tell us what the core of Mars is like. Correct. Oh, that's such a bummer. I mean, imagine yeah, I all of the like work. I don't want to make it worse, Hank, but I imagine all the work that goes into that moment, and then you just happen to land like like seven feet in the wrong place. You know, like it's right. just dumb yeah. luck. It's if just a little were, rock. If you were seven feet over there, you could go all the way to the center of Mars or something. But because of this, like <laughs> yeah. now we can only go a foot deep. And like, it's somewhat comforting to know that there's like other good science being done on InSight and that it landed safely and that it's gotten a lot of good data already. It has a two year long mission where it will continue uh, collecting data. But also, the people who are on the seismometer team are different from the people who are on the drill team. Right. And so they're all looking at their colleagues being like, well, I'm glad your thing's going well. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> always so awkward. <laughs> like I've, I've experienced versions of that, not that exact <clears throat> yep. one. Yep. But yeah, it's such a bummer when it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm. Oh, that's great. Congratulations mm-hmm. on your seismometer. That's so wonderful. So happy for you. We also have one response from Nicole and Rebecca to me and Catherine's episode about the, uh, the Gatlinburg, Tennessee salt and pepper shaker museum. Yeah. So we had a question from someone who kept getting novelty salt and pepper shakers. Maybe they want them in Gatlinburg. Probably not, but maybe they seem to have plenty already. From the picture that we will share on the Patreon. That's a lot of freaking salt and pepper shakers. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we'll share it or on you can at s- Patreon, patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John, where we are off now to record our uh, hit podcast, This Week in Ryan's. This Week in Ryan's. <laughs> you can check it out at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. Uh, thank you all for listening. Hank, thank you for potting with me. Absolutely. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosianne Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. This music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. awesome.